Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And today we are, well, we're finishing up Systematic Theology 2 today. Yeah, we're going to actually have to do some work because we're not finished with our syllabus on 3. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I started it. I started... I started mine too. I got all kinds of stuff started. <laughs> <laughs> but will we finish? This is the giant mystery. Um... So yeah, we're we're gonna Lord willing finish this up today. We've been, of course, discussing this doctrine of salvation, and with that comes the sub doctrine of sanctification in particular. Um, there's all kinds of sub doctrines and uh, doctrine of salvation, and so we covered a lot of those um, last time. We talked about issues, various issues related to sanctification specifically, um, and then that idea of the old versus the new. And so today we plan to finish up with just a brief discussion on the nature of uh, perseverance or preservation, if you will. Uh, some call it eternal security, but we like to refer to it as the doctrine of perseverance. I think that's more uh, accurate. So we're going to begin this one by talking about some of the historical interpretations. You want to you pick this up? You want me to... I see you just scrolling over there, so. No, I'm actually looking up my theology syllabus I was writing on Theology 3. I got. What'd you do, the church? Yeah, I'm not done with that. I've got 75 pages. Bam. Yes. Well, I got, um, I'm at a, I got about 68 pages for Doctrine of the Spirit. That's going to be a beast. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, well, yeah, we're. We're, yeah, we're okay. We're doing okay. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm going to rest in that laurel until I'm not okay, and then I'm going to be desperately and freaking out. Yeah. But, so let me get back to my actual thing. Right. So where are we at? We are <laughs> at number two, perseverance and preservation. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do these uh, historical interpretations. All right. And so, I'm starting now? Yeah. Roman right. Catholic. It's hot here, people. My cigar is not drying very well. Yeah, but you're having a rough day. It's It's a rough day. Yeah. Very difficult. All right. So the Roman Catholic view, it's um, one, of, one of the views is very common here. Obviously, saving grace is forfeited by moral sins. Mortal. I'm sorry. Oh, I was like, okay. There you go. <laughs> mortal sins. Um, remember that the Roman Catholic Church makes a distinction between mortal and venial sins. Uh, we all actually get into all that once we ever get around to doing Roman Catholic theology. Are we still hoping to interview Allison? Yeah, I want to. I, well, we were going to go down for yeah. that conference, and we were hoping to hook up with them. And Well, yeah, and then when we were going to be down there, he was going to be at some, apparently he goes every summer to Italy. Oh, that's and right. He does you like a two- or three-week thing on Roman Catholic theology. So when we were going to be there, he's like, oh, he's like, I'd love to, but. Is Italy really I a place it. you want to do Roman? I mean, is there a need there? I don't know. I mean, it seems like a random. Yeah. Why not Uganda? Anyhow, I didn't know that. You told me you went to Italy, but I didn't realize it was going to be during our trip. But we're, we're going to interview him because he's, he's written an awesome book on it. Yeah. And, and he's far brighter on it than we are. But there is that difference of mortal and venial sins. Uh, remember, mortal sins are grace sins. or uh, Grave. My goodness, what? <laughs> I wrote this last week, and it was a bad week okay, for me. <laughs> we're going to start over. <laughs> we're only eight lines down. Now. <laughs> that's fine. People want this. Okay. You sure? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Mortal sins are grave sins. They're committed with willful intent, um, and you lose your salvation. Uh, yeah. Venial sins are sins that are committed with ignorance. Uh, they're lesser sins. Uh, they won't keep you out of heaven ultimately. Yeah. So the faithful who commit venial sins suffer the pain of purgatory. However, those who willfully commit these mortal sins are subjugated or subjected rather to eternal punishment. So in Roman Catholic theology, mortal sins can be removed and saving grace then restored by the sacrament of penance. And that's why the 
I always, it was it amazed me during this COVID thing where they stopped doing um, confession. I'm like, dude, anybody's dying, according to you guys, is going straight to hell. If, right. you know, I, but doesn't matter. Um, this involves uh, contrition, confession, ab- absolution, works of satisfaction. All of this plays into the person's perseverance. Um, so there's certain things you must do to attain and, and also keep your salvation. So dealing with Catholic theology, it's always a synergistic uh, work. Uh, humans must cooperate with God in the work of salvation. God will not fail the faithful, but if a person commits that mortal sin, uh, they fail God and can forfeit their own salvation. So Burkauer writes, uh, Rome's Opposition to the Reformation uh, doctrine of perseverance lies in the synergistic interpretation of the correlation of faith and grace, along with the doctrine of the meritoriousness of good works and penance. Um, yeah, the the problem always with Roman Catholic theology is they have a lot of the same words, but with very yeah. different meanings. Yeah. So basically, you have to keep yourself saved by participating in these works of grace. Right, because your doctrine, that your justification is not a finished work. It's a work in progress. Right. So they confuse justification and sanctification, right? And so God has, and they would still, they would argue it's grace because God has graciously offered these means, but it's up to you to therefore use your will and take advantage of them. And so... Yeah. Um, and, it's a, and we've talked about it before, but there's a very interesting uh, doctrine that they have that nature, grace, inter- interdependence is. is and that's what we want Allison to yeah. explain better for us because it's so, yeah. it, it runs through all of it. Right. But, it, but it's essentially the idea of uh, grace comes to you through physical nature. This is why you have to physically partake of the Eucharist because as you ingest what they understand to be the actual body and blood of Christ, somehow grace is infused to you. So it's almost like a substance. Well, same thing with the baptism. It's yeah. not that you're already saved, but in the water of baptism, that physical, yeah, natural exactly. substance, then salvation is imparted. So yeah. so that, that's Roman Catholic theology. Um, then another one would be saving grace can be lost by walking after the flesh. Uh, and you'll find this in many of the Arminian positions. Uh, as we've talked in past, Arminians, of course, reject the doctrine of unconditional election and effectual call. Um, and so as a result, they, they naturally conclude that perseverance is therefore conditional and final apostasy is possible. And here's the key for the truly regenerate yeah, believer. Yeah, that's the key word, truly. Yeah. So there, it's not a person who's professing to be a believer, but ultimately shows himself not to be. We're talking, no, he was truly a believer. Regenerate. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he apostatizes. Yeah, it's apparently still possible, right? So our, many Ar- Arminians will say that they take the the warning passages, you know, many of those passages in Hebrews, for instance, they take them with greater weight um, as they'll say warnings have meaning only if the threat is real, not if the threat is just hypothetical, which is what they would accuse um, more Calvinistic uh, yeah. type of people of. Well, and, and unfortunately, though, part of that's valid in the sense that if you've, especially when you get into Hebrews and you read some of the commentators, that they're saying, look, he doesn't really mean that you would fall away. He's just throwing it out as a hypothetical to kind of scare you mm-hmm. straight. And it's like, <laughs> and I struggle with that. It's like, no, yeah. there's nothing in here that would, in, that's theology telling you what the text must say. Your theology right. says the elect can't lose their salvation. Therefore, this has to be hypothetical. But nothing in text is indicating that. That's why we would argue, no, those texts are actually spoken to professing Christians. So he's going to treat them as such. But if they fall away, this is the right. end result. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they were truly regenerate, and it's not hypothetical. It's, look, we don't know who you are. You're saying you are. You're saying you profess this. And here's the end result if you choose to go back the old, to the old ways. Yes, but, that's exactly right. And I would also just add to that, if we want to talk about means of grace, <laughs> I would say that, at least in the Reformed position, um, 
one of the means of grace are those warning passages and that they cause oh, you to, yeah. they'll cause you to truly regenerate, to seriously reflect and take an account of where they stand. And that, that, that is true. I, I remember a couple of the commentators I worked through with Hebrews. That's actually what they would say is for the regenerate or the elect, um, they took those things and it scared them. And, and that was the evidence of the spirit working in them that yeah. they then repented and continued. Whereas the one who hardened his heart to it just showed himself never to be elect. Yeah. But anyhow, yeah. go ahead. So, yeah. So as a great uh, result then in this view, grace is dependent. And again, these are some of the Arminian views. Grace is dependent on a believer's continued faith, their obedience, and their perseverance. Um, now, this is a form of of what we'll call conditional salvation, uh, where where a person is saved, but only on the condition that they remain faithful to God, but by their own free will. Um, in fact, Wesley claimed that the doctrine of eternal security, which would be more of a reformed position, would lull Christians into a sense of false security. That's his concern with it. And, and he said this, he said, the believer who takes eternal security for granted grows a little and a little slacker till ere long he falls again into the sin from which he was clean escaped. So he sins on and sleeps on till he awakes in hell. Well, and that's actually very similar to what the Roman Catholic Church, I mean, they were scandalized with Luther and his doctrine of justification because they're like, if you are saved by faith alone, then it doesn't matter what you do. And then Luther being Luther would taunt them like that. He would actually say, yes, you could murder a person and you could this and that. And if you have yeah. been truly justified, you will be saved. So he just like poking them in the eye. Um, but very similar to this, it's the evil of the, per for the Catholic church, the evil of justification by faith alone is that you don't take your salvation serious. Um, the evil of perseverance of the saints for Wesley is that you don't take your salvation serious. Yeah. I, I do think it's worth noting that Wesley and his group, they do take salvation seriously. I mean, it's not because they're trying to figure out some evil works. They're, they're looking and they're like, look, uh, I, I think it's the evil of pedo-baptism, to be honest. Um, that, you know, Jonathan Edwards dealt with that. Do you, you know he got kicked out of his church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was over refusing communion to openly sinning uh, communicants. These were people who had been baptized as infants, showed no evidence of being converted. And he's like, no, I'm not giving it to you. And they're like, you got to give it to them. And the rest is history. But once you fill a church with a bunch of baptized people and you're saying that somehow they're now to be treated as elect or regenerate, invariably that waters it down, I would argue. Um, same thing that, well, I won't get yeah. down that road, but that's what uh, Wesley was speaking into. He was speaking into a, 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 the churches around him that were filled with people who were openly sinning and they weren't taking their sin seriously. And out of that, he developed the Wesleyan Arminian doctrine. So I, it's, it's a concern for their soul. Yeah. I guess we should show grace in that sense. Of Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And there's a lot of hangover from the Roman Catholic Church still around in, in the, when these guys were living and writing and thinking Absolutely. on these issues. And I've been reading um, Roland Baton's Here I Stand at Night, uh, the biography of Martin Luther. And... You're exactly right. I've never read a lot of Luther's actual words. Oh, read um, Bondage of the Will. It's a kicker. Yeah. It's an excellent one. Yeah. Um, I've consulted that one. I've never read it through, um, mostly due to my impatience. <laughs> but um, it's the, the Here I Stand biography is fascinating because yeah. he is, you're right, he was, to use your word, scandalizing the Roman Catholic Church because his point was, look, I'm baptized and so based on your doctrine and understanding, you have to accept my words. You can't call me as one who's defected from this faith somehow. And so he, he's basically saying, look, I have a voice and it's a legitimate voice. And it was very interesting because it was all built on that idea of infant baptism. It's like, if you're baptized, you've been cleansed. So you can't call me a yep. excommunicate, if you will. <laughs> so. yeah, he, he was a master at turning their own words on them. 
Um, he must have been exceedingly frustrating to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we like him because we're on his side, so to speak. But uh, if you weren't, yeah. I think you would rue the day you walked in the room and he was sitting there having a beer while yeah. he's farting. Well, for, and he, he never found away. an adjective and adverb that he didn't like. I mean, he was very illustrative in his <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. words. So anyway, the point here with this one, this Arminian view, is that it is up to the believer to finish the race. God grants grace, but the professing believer must work from his free will to remain faithful. And that's the key in this view. God's salvation is not final or secure because a truly regenerate believer can still defect from saving grace. Okay. So then you come into a, a view for many Lutherans. Now, not all, but many. Uh, elect believers will persevere, but non-elect believers will fall away. Uh, so your Lutheran and Calvinists were of one mind when it came to that doctrine of justification by faith. However, they had a lot of disagreement on the doctrine of perseverance. Um, so Lutherans traditionally reject the idea that the gift of, persever of perseverance is a logical outcome of sovereign election. Um, and that's important. Uh, rather, what they hold to is the view that not all those who have been regenerated are elected by God. So they split the truly regenerated into two categories, the elect and non-elect. And only the elect are the ones that will persevere. So they, they will argue that the regenerated elect or regenerate elect may fall into sin totally, but not finally. Uh, as a result, which a Presbyterian would agree that you can go deep into sin, but if you're truly elect, you will repent. Um, as a result, they believe then the regenerate non-elect, though, may fall from grace both totally and finally. And so those who fall from grace into sin need a new experience of both conversion and justification. Um, now, what's interesting on this one before I talk about Luther is in all of my studies with Lutheranism, because of people that were in our church, um, it again came back down to that doctrine of baptism. Baptism is something people like to chuckle and say it's not a big deal, but it's a huge issue because for the Lutheran, though they reject, even though most, most of the Lutherans I've talked to really do believe that when your baby gets baptized, they get saved. And that's more a Roman Catholic view than a Lutheran view, where the true Lutheran view is that when you obey the word of God, and you bring your child to be baptized, and the water is done, and the word of the Lord, the gospel, is pronounced over the child, the Spirit infuses him or imparts upon him saving faith. Right. That's what they actually believe. Most people have no idea that's actually what supposedly is happening. So that is now a believing child. Um, a, a Presbyterian does not believe that. They believe that you're taking on the mark of the covenant through baptism. So they may be elect, they may not be, but we will treat them as the elect until they prove themselves otherwise. And that's where this perseverance comes in. So a Presbyterian can say, no, they were baptized as a baby because they have to have the mark of the covenant. That doesn't mean that they were saved. But the Lutherans got to figure out what the heck do you do with the guy who was truly saved, but is no longer walking as a Christian and, and is an abject apostate. And that's where this whole doctrine came in, is that some are elect, some are not. And so the, the non-elect can be saved, regenerate, but then ultimately fall away. The, when we get to the doctrine of baptism, I really want us to spend time on that podcast or podcast. Yeah, we'll slow down a little bit. Yep. Uh, you know, I think it's wrong how often we all kind of chuckle and just agree to disagree. It's like, no, people's heads got chopped off for this, and there was really, really good reasons for it, but not that we're advocating head chopping. But. <laughs> okay, so back to Luther. He equivocated on the issue. Um, he saw that great tension between law and grace. In fact, that's his hermeneutic. Um, as a result, he essentially believed that it was possible for believers to fall entirely from grace and truth. He would point to examples where it seems uh, that true believers lost their salvation or were in fear of losing it. Um, so he would use, actually, commonly it was David's cry in Psalm 51 for God not to take away his Holy Spirit from him. Now, we dealt with that, um, and we know that it was not what David meant. He was actually talking about losing that spirit anointing, if you will, or we would call filling 
um, in the New Testament um, right. as king. Uh, but it is what Luther understood. He understood there was a loss of actually salvation. And then good old Melanchthon affirmed Luther's belief that a true believer could lose his or her salvation. And so he wrote uh, in the Augsburg Confession in 1530, rejected here are those who teach that persons who have once become godly cannot fall again. Yeah. So they, they rejected that idea. Of yeah, Melanchthon went much further than Luther. Luther was still, I mean, and, and I feel for Luther, the guy was a writing machine. Um, but, I mean, he was still extricating himself from Roman, Roman Catholicism. Catholicism yep. And he was, I mean, he was an incredible man. Melanchthon then took him and kind of, is it codified or codified? I think it's codified. Codified. That works. The, their theology and it sent it in a trajectory that I don't think Luther would have approved, but he's with the Lord. So. Yeah. Well, Melanchthon was one of the writers of the Augsburg Confession, and that, that is sort of the document that Protestants will look to uh, coming off of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so then you have the final view here, which is God preserves the converted in perseverance until the end. And this is the good old Reformed position. Um, that now this position argues that a regenerated, justified believer can lapse in their faith in some sense and even resist God for a season, but it is never final. Uh, and the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit actually secures the person and secures that final salvation of all true believers by bringing about this, this free perseverance until the end. So when, it, when a genuine Christian lapse in faith, uh, here's what Bruce Demarest says. He says, God deals with them graciously and patiently. The safety of true believers rests on their God-enabled perseverance. Grace and faith work together to ensure a positive outcome. And the key there would be God-enabled. Right. Um, now, Augustine held that every aspect of salvation from initial conversion to that final perseverance is all a gift of God's grace. Um, again, Demers' writing says, Augustine taught, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, um, taught that some who hear the gospel— I call him Augie. <laughs> good old Augie. Um, sure, that works. Uh, he, he said that— Or Gus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like really, that one, Gus. That everyone would just go into conniption. Or Steen. Well, as yeah. Gus said. <laughs> it's like— <laughs> Gussy, you know. Um, so Augustine taught that some who hear the gospel, receive baptism, and become church members are changed for the better. They do good and appear to be Christians. Although recipients of a certain grace, such persons are not granted the gift of perseverance, and so they fall away and are eternally condemned. Um, Augustine then developed this primarily from 1 John 2.19, which is that verse which says, they went out from us but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us. Why? So that it would be shown that they are not of us. And so Augustine there writes he, regarding this verse, he says, since they did not have perseverance, they were not truly children of God, just as they were not truly disciples of Christ, even when they seemed to be such and were called such. Um, similarly, Charles Spurgeon argues that there's a kind of faith that appears lively, but that does not personally commit to Christ and obey the gospel. And so here's what he writes. He says, we believe that God has an elect people whom he has chosen unto eternal life, and that truth necessarily involves the perseverance in grace. We believe in special redemption, and this secures the salvation and consequent perseverance of the redeemed. We believe in effectual calling, which is bound up with justification, a justification which ensures glorification. The doctrines of grace are like a chain. If you believe in one of them, you must believe in the next, for each one involves the rest. Therefore, I say that you who accept any of the doctrines of grace must receive this also, meaning doctrine of perseverance as involved in them. Um, and so that's just, that. I like what he's saying in the sense of it's all logically connected. And I think he can prove it from the text. Um, but basically, he's just saying, if you hold to one of those five points, you have to hold to all of them. And if you reject one, you basically have to reject all of them. Right. And the one that, now, this is just an anecdote, but the one I find is the thing that you have to work through most diligently with the person who believes in loss of salvation is... 
um, the doctrine of limited atonement. No, no, that's the one that people trip over. That's the one emotionally we trip over, but it's uh, total depravity. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because most of the people who are Arminian today that I meet, that not, again, this is anecdotal, um, are actually semi-Pelagians. They right. actually believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually believe there's some element of good in the person. So by patiently just taking them through just massive quantities of scripture, talking about man's inability because of his depravity, um, what you do is you now at least force him to become an honest Arminian who then, because an honest Arminian believes in total depravity, and then they make it go away through uh, prevening grace. grace. Right. So that's how they deal with that is, yes, we're all depraved, totally unable, but God in his prevenient grace grants us the ability, which basically says you were totally unable, but not really, yeah. because God. Well, so, yeah, and the, they'll, they'll say basically at the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, uh, when that happened. Really? I've never heard that one. Yeah. Okay. The, the, God sent, well, Christ sent forth the Spirit, and in doing so, soften, that's the language that's used, soften the hearts of all men. So now they're able to respond and so their will is no longer constrained by that total state of depravity. It's now been in some way softened. Okay. And so now it, now they can be held justly accountable for the rejection of Christ. Okay. Well, so for me, I've never heard that one. And what I then do is then get them, they, I tell them, since this is so critical, you must prove from the text and that's where, where grace. the difficulty comes in. Right, because it's a, it's, it's a logical <laughs> right. assumption rather than a exegetical one. So that's once you get that, then the rest, they might let go of them reluctantly, but, <laughs> but eventually the fingers all give up. I mean, for me, it took me years to give up uh, unlimited atonement. Um, it was not until seminary. So uh, I also think people ought to show a lot more kindness and patience because it just takes time. You're, especially when you're thinking about your aunt who's maybe in hell or something like that. Anyhow, so what are some biblical warrants? Um, now, there are truly a ton of passages that we can look at, but we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to look at a couple of very important ones. Um, John 6 is just an extremely powerful passage. So in John 6, 39 to 40, in verse 44, just listen to these. In 39 to 40, it says, now listen to what is being said. And if you have your Bible, actually look it up because um, it's the, the logic and the argument is very tight. This is the will, this is Jesus speaking. This is the will of him who is the father who sent me. What's his will? That all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Now, just listen to the absoluteness of those terms. This is not hypothetical, but a declaration of what will place, that Jesus will lose nothing. Everyone will be raised up by Jesus himself. They will have eternal life. And I'd add another thing in there. And the reason that it has to be that way is that's God's will. Right. And Jesus came to only do the will of the Father, and he did it perfectly. So if you're going to, I mean, I, I say it all the time to people, if you're going to say that a person was truly saved and then loses their salvation, then Jesus fails in his task. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, that simple. Yeah. You want to do the John 4, yeah. 6, 44? Yeah. Uh, and so this is just a few verses later, obviously, but the same language is used. Uh, listen to these words. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, Notice again, the absoluteness of those terms. He says, no one can come to me unless the father draws him. Uh, and then he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's not that Jesus hopes to raise them or desires to raise them up, but rather, again, there's that certainty. I will raise him up on the last day. And these are all uh, statements of fact. Right. He doesn't really care what we think about him. <laughs> He's just stating this is the reality. And then the other key passage, um, is the one that uh, most people will take you to is Romans 8.30. 
um, for whom those he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. For what purpose? So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So you got Paul's, it's commonly called his unbreakable chain or the golden chain of salvation. You see a series of acts that God alone has done. Um, It's simply a string of errors, which means that every verb of what he's done um, is the same verb tense. And they're all written from the perspective of a complete action. It's done. Um, So the same person whom he foreknew is the same person who is also glorified, which is that final state of salvation when you finally come into his presence. So um, as certain as the one who justifies, Paul is also certain as the one who will bring someone to the end. So uh, in other words, glorification, which is uh, implied in the idea of perseverance, is as much God's work as a ju- as justification. There is certainly here uh, certainty. A certainty here, and in Paul's mind, it is a complete action on behalf of God. So you just... In, in there, Paul does not give any work of man. It doesn't involve the will of man. Um, the entire focus is completely upon what God has done. And so just as surely as a person is justified, so also shall they persevere unto glorification. Yeah. That was a car accident right there. Accident. Well, I know their pain. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's right. That was where you had yours. I can't tell you how many times I have, heard a car accident right there just sitting in the office you should tell everyone the story now how of i got our visitor. no the visitor <laughs> my golly okay it's a great story it's so, worth taking a break from perseverance okay so <laughs> my, my wife and i worked really hard early on to save up money um because we don't like to be in debt and all these things and so finally after many many years we bought a van and we just bought this van lot last June, and we got all these nice pictures. And a good van. A, yeah. A, yeah, it was something like a that's going to last you forever. Yeah. Um, and had, like, almost no miles on it. And so I was out driving it and <laughs> uh, came to this four-way stop here and then pulled out. And then it's actually got, a two-way stop. Yeah, you're right. That's probably my problem. <laughs> that was a problem. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, and I got nailed. Um, but um, so the police officer shows up, and I felt so bad for him because he shows up, and the person in the other car just starts cussing him out. Yeah, she's the victim. Yeah, she, she's in the uh, right. You're in the wrong, but yeah. she's the one mistreating the officer. Yeah, yeah, and she just starts laying into him, and I felt bad for him. So I was just I was trying to be kind to him, and um, anyway, so we had a person show up to our church. I don't know, a few weeks ago. And I went up and said, hey, my name is Matt. And he's like, looks at his wife and just sort of chuckles. Um, (laughs) He's like, yeah, I know. I gave you a ticket. (laughs) And I was like, I knew you looked familiar. But he was, he's like, look, man, he's like, he's like, I still feel so bad about that. And he said, I have to tell you though, that in my years of being a police officer, you were one of the most kindest and gracious interactions i had to deal with but i so i stuck that one away of just how important it is to no matter what where what situation you're well you had no idea he was a christian he didn't know who you were no and now a few years later or a year later he shows up and yeah but out of that there's already a relationship you guys both get a chuckle over that yeah so Um, i mean then he invited us so lydia or the family went over to their house for dinner and um, but a year ago, as he's writing me a ticket, never thought I'd be eating a meal in his kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> well, all of that to say is someday they're going to have to make a stoplight right at this intersection because a lot of accidents are here. All right. So what are the means of perseverance? Um, we gave you a couple of the passages. There are many more. It's not that hard to find them. Um, the only thing we would say to you is don't let your theology demand that it can't, you can't lose the salvation. Let the text say you can't, and then 
that becomes your theology. That's all we would really say. We've given you theological arguments for each one of the views, but ultimately what you want to do is be a person who goes to all the texts, deals with them in their context, and then you develop that theology, right? Correct. Uh, so there's another aspect to that then. What are the means of perseverance? How are you going to actually persevere? Because this, this is a synergistic work, though yes. it's enabled by God. There is a part that you play in yes. persevering. Yes, uh, and and the whole book, I would just say read the book of Hebrews. Yes. But um, the first is the word of God and sound doctrine. So I'll read a couple of passages here. In Colossians 1.22 um, and following, he says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, now there's the, the rub, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So you stay established in the faith, the hope of the gospel. That's, what, that's yeah. the means of grace is stay there. The moment you start wandering from there, your soul is in danger. It's right. that simple. Where the faith is in reference to sound doctrine, not your personal yeah. Yeah. subjective faith, right? Yeah, yeah it's the faith. Um, and one of the problems here is a lot of Presbyterians, not Presbyterians, reform guys will quote the first part, you know, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, and they won't finish it. And the Arminian is saying, finish it, <laughs> you know, if indeed you continue in the faith. And they're like, see, see. And they're right. We need to make certain that we deal with that whole passage. But the means of it doesn't mean that nowhere in there does it say that you're truly regenerate. Right. Um, and so that's your pushback against the Arminian. All, you're, all it's saying is here's the means of grace. God has said, stay here, stay firmly established in the faith, in the gospel, and you'll be fine. That, it's that simple. Um, 2 Timothy 2.16, be diligent, so now that's on us, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, ha accurately handling the word of truth, uh, which is the word, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray, notice not from their own personal faith, but from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So again, stay in the word, deal with the word, rightly divide the word, you'll be fine. Yeah, implication being... If you do not have sound doctrine, you cannot persevere. Um, so second, we'd also say the Holy Spirit is a means of perseverance, Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, meaning Christ, how with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And that is a phenomenal passage, just talking about how safe you truly are. Well, you you, you did it, because I've always taught out of the Romans 10 passage that we're kept in the hand of the Father. Now comes the uh, fire or ambulance. Yep. So um, you have um, in John 10 that you're kept in the hand of the Father, and you're also kept in the hand or the grasp of the Son. And so I've always preached it, that you're doubly kept safe. And then you challenged that. It wasn't like a challenge, challenge, yeah. but you said, no, you're actually uh, thrice kept safe or something like yeah. that um, because you're also sealed with the Spirit. So you're actually in the grasp of the Spirit, the Son. I mean, you got the whole <laughs> Trinity holding on to you. And so the real reality is that you got to be more powerful than them. And that's where the evil of loss of salvation ultimately comes is they try to make man sovereign. Right. That you can you can thwart the will of God, and I'm like, I think I'm pretty safe there. You're very but safe. But stay there, stay there, yeah. stay in the. Uh, Jude says, stay in the love of Christ. Yeah, exactly. Or God, Christ or God, that doesn't matter. Look it up. It's at the very end of Jude. <laughs> it's in Jude. There's only 25 verses. Uh, okay, then obedience is it me or you? Uh, you go. go. Okay. Um, and cigar <laughs> 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 Okay. Uh, so we got. Um, Sound doctrine, the word of God and sound doctrine, we have the Holy Spirit, and other means would then just be obedience, good old-fashioned obedience. Second Peter 1, 10 through 11, P 
Peter writes, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. Why? For as long as you practice these things, in other words, obey, you never, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The whole verse is, I mean, it reeks of perseverance yeah. of how you finish, um, how you'll enter that eternal kingdom. He says, for as long as you practice these things, as long as you obey, you will not stumble. And it's going to prove not that you believed. That's what's interesting too. It's It will prove that he did call you and he did elect you or choose you. Right. Um, that's, it, it bothers me how many times I see especially in the forums that we wander around with Facebook of reform people who make light of grievous sins. Um, and yet they're certain they're elect. I'm like, dude, you, you need to read this um, yeah. because second Peter is not going to allow you to do that. Um, right. You need to remain in these things and that will confirm your election. Um, and then discipline. Uh, discipline in Hebrews 12, 8 through 11. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Uh, but he's talking to people. Remember, in Hebrews, you're talking to people who are claiming to be sons. You're claiming to be a believer. But he's like, if you don't have this discipline and it's from the Lord, then you're actually not truly a son. Right. Uh, furthermore, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the fathers of father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it, that's key, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So another means of grace that we don't like is the hand of God on our backside, so to speak, dealing with us in our times of sin. Yeah. Yep. It, did I ever tell you my first thought that came to me when I had my bad motorcycle accident? Well, didn't you say you were like in the air? I went about 20 yards to the Well, air. didn't you have this thought while you were in the air or? No, after oh. I hit, I mean, everything was slow motion. At that point, all I remember was me going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I actually was embarrassed. I was making that noise. And I would see the sky, then the ground, then a building, then the sky and the ground. And at some point, I calmly thought, boy, I'm going to land. Oh, I hit a car head on. Um, I'm like, or he hit me. Um, but. I'm like, I'm going to land. I, I should talk. <laughs> I mean, now this all happened in a second or two, but I had all the time in the world to think about this. So I tucked up, but my leg whipped out um, and was ripped off. So I remember when I hit and the pain hit, immediately I knew I, 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 I unbidden was I'm being disciplined by God because I was in open sin. Yeah. Uh, I was on my way to go visit a girl that my dad had forbidden me to go see. And I mean, it was the first thing that entered my mind was I'm being disciplined. And then I tried to witness to the guy who hit me. He had just gotten out of prison, uh, no insurance, no job, no nothing. And he walks up to me and I actually tried, I mean, it's embarrassing because I was such a worthless bum, <laughs> but I, I it, it was a first compulsion in my mind was yeah. to tell him that I'm okay. I'm safe in Christ. You can be safe in Christ weird things that took place there. I've never forgotten that though. Just so is the, is the level of severity of discipline have to do with the severity of a person's stubbornness? I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Oh. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> Anyhow. Anyway, okay. Uh, so that's discipline. Another one is trial, which is different than discipline. Um, but James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or literally multicolored or variegated trials. Why should you consider it as joy? Well, because you know something, what do you know? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So that's language of perseverance and let endurance have its perfect result. And what is that? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, so there, trial is a very key yeah. component to your perseverance as a Christian. And we've talked about this, how many times we've seen people in church uh, over the years who we're really not sure if they're in Christ. Um, you know, 
maybe, but they're all over the map, so unstable, and then cancer comes or some other kind of just incredible trial. And their faith, it just, it's like, it crystallizes and they become a different person, a beautiful person in that sense. And you're like, wow, wow. You know, and you see that versus the one who becomes bitter and falls even further away because God wouldn't do that. It's like these people who are truly regenerate in that, they endure and and in it, God does something, something weird. I can't explain it, but I always ask people, they don't maybe appreciate me asking it, but um, like this one woman, she had cancer and I, about a month after she uh, was diagnosed, I said, so what are you learning about your faith in the midst of this? And she wasn't prepared to answer it. And I didn't know she was taken aback by it, but she gave it a lot of thought. And a month later came back to me and she's like, you know, you made me think. And she started talking about the things she's learning about herself and God. And it was really, a, for me, a time of worship of just listening to a woman who's scared, rightly scared. I don't want to die. But here's what I'm learning about myself. And that's what trials do to a genuine Christian. There's something mystical yeah. in a wonderful and then, way. And then there's those bizarre moments where you know a person's going through a difficult season or trial or whatever, and you go and visit them, could be in the hospital, whatever, and you're going, and then you got to switch your mindset. Okay, I got to be an encouragement, you know, oh, try to uplift their going. spirits. Yeah. And then you go in, and then because they've been enduring through the trial, it's like their faith has been strengthened, in, and now it's strong, and then they end up being the encouragement to you. Yeah. You <laughs> walk away. You're the pastor going, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you walk away, you're like, well, I didn't expect that one. <laughs> yeah. But it is, It's because you kind of go in there expecting, okay, I'm going to need to help them and encourage it. But no, no, they're, they're, they're at rest, and all of a sudden you're finding, I'm being blessed here. How, how did that happen then? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, so we do have warning passages. We talked about the various warning passages in detail in our apostasy episodes. So um, that would be like Hebrews 6 and 10. Um, so we would really encourage you to go back and listen to those for how we dealt with the warning passages. But the purpose of the many warning passages is to help us not to presume on the grace of God. When a professing believer takes those passages seriously, then uh, they become a means of grace through which they will persevere. So it's only when a person becomes casual, and this is one that bothers us so much as pastors, they become casual about their faith, presuming that they're saved, uh, that they then enter into a very, very dangerous place. So uh, Ardell, is it Ardell Candidate? Ardell Candidate. You, he taught at Trinity. Did you have him? Um, no, I didn't. But I actually he has a had phenomenal book on perseverance. Oh, really? Saints. I'll have to buy it because yeah. I'm like, I'm not sure if you spelled his name right when you wrote these up. So I looked up the name yeah, because I'm like, Ardell? Who calls his Ardell. kid Ardell? <laughs> Ardell candidate, yeah. He also has an excellent commentary on okay. Ecclesiastes. Um, but he, anyhow, this is what he says. Exhortations or warnings in scriptures have at least three a threefold purpose. To reveal the spurious professor of faith, <laughs> to cause the believer to strive for holiness in, of, of life, and three, to drive the believer to his only source of enablement, the persevering grace of God. That's nice and tight. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So there's a lot more that we can say on this stuff, but I mean, this is a basic survey, uh, sufficient, I think. So in the end, here's what we would say. If a person is truly regenerate, it means that they will finish the race that has been set before them. And why? Well, because they've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for what? For the day of redemption. That's exactly what Ephesians 1.13 talks about. There, there's no defection from that. Uh, in fact, not even we can defect ourselves from the faith. Um, here's what Romans 8 says, 35 through 38 says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And based on everything that we just said, those would be God's means of actually causing us to persevere. So the emphatic answer would be no. But just as it, is, as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors th through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, 
which by the way includes us as created beings right. <laughs> would separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord in other words not even we can screw this thing up um, I think it was John MacArthur though it's yeah, I've, it's been attributed to a few people um, with all these memes floating around but he said if I could lose my salvation I would <laughs> um, <laughs> so and it's really that simple we, we didn't save ourselves we're certainly not going to glorify ourselves um, and so we certainly can't bring ourselves to glory in this persevering process left alone. Um, so it's a synergistic work. God implores us to persevere, and yet he energizes us or enables us to that task. Uh, perseverance is vital to the Christian faith. It's part and parcel to this whole process of sanctification that we've been talking about. There is no such thing as a person who, you know, quote, gets saved but then just lives how they want. Yeah, the carnal Christian or yeah. whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's always a life that's marked by um, persevering faithfulness, that increasing obedience that gives evidence that one has been truly saved. And that's just the simple reality of what we see really from Genesis to Revelation. So that's systematic theology too. That's it. Um, next time what we'll do is we'll jump into systematic theology three. Fortunately, we found out that we have quite a bit written already, um, and it's going to, oh, we're going to start with the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What's the order that I learned it in? Okay. So I'm easy. Okay. So it's all on you, and then the Doctrine of Church. Yeah. Um, until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. Uh, what we really want to do is hear your thoughts. We have a few people who are emailing us, and we appreciate those people yeah. a lot because it gives us a, well, let's just kind of be pastors to them. Um, but also, it gives us a sense of what they're hearing versus what we're saying, right? Uh, so we really do want to hear your thoughts <laughs> of what we're trying to say. Um, but until then, make sure that you tune in, join the conversation. Um, don't forget to like and share and comment. We need that. Uh, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and then tell a friend. Mm -hmm.